And welcome to the Word Encounter, episode 241. And today we'll start our journey into the book of Galatians. Um, Galatia is a territory in Asia Minor, which is uh, modern-day um, Turkey. And uh, the church there consisted of Jews and, and, and Gentiles. And Paul's ministry, uh, the Lord gave uh, the Gentiles to Paul to preach to, to minister to. And uh, there was a group of Jews called uh, Judaizers, and they were uh, insistent that as a part of the conversion for the Gentiles, that they had to adhere to the Jewish customs and Jewish laws, particularly circumcision. That was the big thing, and, uh, but everything else as well. But circumcision, uh, circumcision was the big thing. And so they were putting these extra burdens and whatnot on the new believers with regard to what they had to do other than just confessing Christ. And since the uh, mission or since the ministry to the Gentiles was given to Paul by Jesus directly, uh, Paul is very, very adamant about this issue. And he confronts the Judaizers as well as some of the apostles themselves who tended to go along with this group. And so we see here in the book of Galatians that Paul is confronting this notion and confronting it relatively aggressively uh, with, uh, with, with arguments and discussions and debates with those who are trying to put this extra layer of burden on top of the new Gentile Christians. And so with that, Let's get into it. We get into Paul's greeting as he writes his letter. He says, To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God, uh, from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God uh, the, and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul always has some in my opinion, some awesome greetings, uh, greetings before he gets into the meat of what he wants to get into. So first of all, it says, no other gospel. He says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. They want to adjust it. They want to tweak it, if you will. But even if, we, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. So Paul is saying, look, even if I come back to you or an angel comes back to you and somehow wants to modify what we've preached to you, Paul is saying a curse on him. For I am now trying to persuade people or God. For am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to please people? He says, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Amen, amen, and amen. The amens are what I'm adding. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. You cannot be a people pleaser and be a servant of Christ. Because a lot of what Christ has to say is not going to please people. See, people don't want to hear a lot of what Christ has to say about their beliefs, about their lifestyle. People don't want to hear it, you see. So if you're going to try to be a people pleaser, then you can't be a servant of Christ because that's not the two don't go hand in hand. <clears throat> it says uh, the origin of Paul's gospel. He says in verse 11, for I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it uh, from, human, from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came to me by revelation of Jesus Christ. 
And then uh, from verse 13 on for the next few verses, Paul goes into detail about his conversion experience on his road to Damascus, how he was blinded, and so on and so forth. Let's drop down to verse 21. It says, Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and uh, uh, Cilicia. I remain personally unknown to the Judean churches that are in Christ. They simply kept hearing, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Chapter 2, it says, Paul defends his gospel at Jerusalem. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. But not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers, this is in Jerusalem now, okay, this is the the capital of everything. He says, because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ in order to enslave us. See, so Paul is analogizing following the, the old customs in the Jewish laws as being enslaved. See, that's kind of heavy for them. And it says, but we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. Now, uh, now, let's see. Yeah. Now from those who recognized as important. (laughs) So Paul is here. Now from those who were recognized as important people, it says, uh, what they once were, uh, Makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. So he's in uh, Jerusalem talking about uh, people that are recognized as important. He says, they added nothing to me. And so I presume he's talking about the council here of of the apostles. (laughs) He says, they added nothing to me. It says in verse 7, on the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter uh, was for the circumcised. Since, uh, since the one at work in Peter uh, for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. When James, Cephas, and John, Cephas being Peter, uh, those recognized as pillars acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they should go to the circumcised. They should go to the Jews. They should minister to the Jews. And Paul, uh, they gave him the right hand of fellowship and said, yes, you will minister to the Gentiles. And so, you know, I guess there was some kind of uh, uh, meeting of the minds, some kind of agreement with regard to who would minister to whom, and they all recognized each other's authority. Freedom from the law. It says in verse 11, but when uh, Cephas, that being Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned, because he was wrong. See, Paul is saying when Peter came to Antioch, he started doing some things that Paul wasn't down with. Okay. And so Paul said he stood in his face because he was wrong. He says in verse 12, For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when these men came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. 
So Peter was being a hypocrite. He was eating and living and, 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 and being involved with the Gentiles. And then when some people came from Jerusalem who were with James, some, some of the Jewish Christians came, Peter separated himself from the Gentiles because he didn't want, he didn't want to, uh, he was afraid of how they may react if they observed him um, uh, communing with the Gentiles. It says in uh, verse 13, then the rest of the Jews joined us. Uh, then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy. So Paul is calling out. He's calling it out. Then the rest of the Jews um, joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas, even Paul's boy, was led astray by their hypocrisy. So we can see that they had this latent thing in the back of their minds with regard to the Jewish law. And so they didn't want to, I guess they didn't want to appear to be soft on the law, even though the only thing that was necessary to be justified in Christ was a belief, was faith. They still had this in the back of their minds, and they were still being guided by it. In verse 14, but when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas, I told Peter in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile, and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? So Paul's saying, look, Peter, when the other Jews are not around, you're living like a Gentile. You see, you are a Jew, Peter, and you're living like a Gentile when the other Jews are not around. So how can you tell the Gentiles to live like Jews? In verse 15, we are Jews by birth, and not Gentile sinners. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Jesus Christ. This was, this was so that we might be justified by faith, and faith alone in Christ, and not by works of the law. Because the work of the law, uh, let's see, because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. So Paul is saying, look, we all believe that we were saved by faith because the works of the law cannot produce justification. So why are you guys doing this? Essentially, is, Paul what, is what Paul's point is. In verse 19, he says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. See, so Paul is like, Paul is laying it out there. He's saying, look, you guys are being two-faced on this matter. See, it, we can't straddle the fence here. You know, we're justified by faith, not by works, period. End of story. You can't keep uh, carrying on uh, with the law and having people observe the law as a means uh, uh, of their salvation because that would mean that Jesus has died for nothing. Justification through faith. It can get pretty deep here in chapter 3. <laughs> he says in verse 1, you, you foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So Paul is saying, let me clarify something. How were you saved? Okay. Was it from what you heard or was it by performing some works and adhering to the law? Tell me, how was it? 
In verse 3, he says, Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? After you get into the kingdom of God through uh, your uh, confession of Jesus, your faith in Jesus, are you now trying to work things out in the flesh? This is what Paul is questioning them, uh, them about. This is, what, this is what a lot of people do, by the way, still today. In verse 5, so then, does God give you the spirit and work miracles among you by your, uh, by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? Just like Abraham, who believed God and it was credited to him uh, as righteousness. See, Abraham was not credited uh, for being righteous and was not given the promise by God because he did anything. It was by faith. It says in verse 7, he says, you know that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now, the scriptures saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham, who had faith. And so God told Abraham, all the nations will be best blessed through you because you, by faith, have been blessed. See? You have been given a promise by faith, not because of anything you did. It says law and promise. Paul's going to go on and continue. Remember, he's talking to the apostles and the, the, the uh, decision makers, if you will, the leadership, you know, of the faith. He's not just talking to, to people new to the faith. He's talking to the leadership. He's essentially schooling the leadership. He's schooling those who actually walked with Jesus. James, Peter, John, you know, <laughs> in chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 10, he says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written. Everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. If you don't hold the law 100%, 100% of the time, 100% of the ordinance and statutes in the law, then you are cursed. Verse 11, now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. But the law was not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. The law was based on works. The law was based on doing. It wasn't based on faith because the one who does these things will live by them. Does means works. In verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. It says in verse 14, the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. Verse 16, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. It does not say to his seeds, plural, as though referring to many, but referring to one and your seed, who is Christ. Verse 17, my point is this, the law which came 430 years later, 430 years after Abraham, does not invalidate the covenant previously established by God and thus cancel the promise. God gave Abraham the promise 
430 years before the law, before Moses. And so he established the, the, the promise before there was ever any written law or anything like that. For if their inheritance was based on the law, it is no longer based on the promise. But God has graciously given it to Abraham through the promise. So God gave Abraham a promise, and by faith, he said that, you know, through your line, through your seed, these things will happen. The law comes 430 years later. You see, and what what Paul is saying here is that the law did not supersede the promise, which was enacted by faith. So therefore, the law does not um, supersede faith. So then what is the purpose of the law? In verse 19, he gets into that. Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made uh, would come. In other words, the law was given as a mirror to man to show man that he was in need of a savior. That was the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to point man to the one to come. See, it was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come, until Jesus was come. And so the law was a temporary thing to point man to Jesus, to, to show man that he was in need of a Savior, that Savior was Jesus. And so the law is pointing to the coming of Jesus. That is what its purpose was. But the Jews are taking the law as a means unto itself, a standalone thing that points to nothing but itself. But the law leads to death because nobody can keep it 100% of the time with 100% of the laws. In verse 21, is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not, says Peter, says Paul, excuse me. For if the law had been granted the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. So Paul is saying, look, if God had given the law the power to give life, then righteousness would rest on keeping the law. But God did not give the law the power to give life. (laughs) But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Belief is the key. It's the linchpin to everything. Before this faith came, excuse me, before this faith came, we were, confi- we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. So he's saying we, Paul, we Jews, until faith came, we were confined under the law. The law was holding us down, imprisoned until faith came and revealed itself through Jesus. In verse 24, The law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. So the law kind of kept us from like just going crazy. (laughs) The the law restrained us from just being totally and completely self-destructive until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian uh, for though we are no longer under a guardian. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. Lay it out, Paul. Lay it out for him. Make it plain. In verse uh, 27, it says sons and heirs. 
For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let let me say that again. There is no Jew or Greek. There is no slave or free. There is no male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. That is a message that needs to uh, just be trumpeted loud and clear for everybody on earth to hear. There's no distinction between Jew or Greek. There is no distinction between black, between white, between Caucasian, between Asian, between Indian. You know, there is no distinction. It doesn't matter if you are rich or poor. There is no distinction. It doesn't matter if you are male or female. There is no distinction. See, I don't care what you call yourself. I don't care how you identify yourself. I don't care what you identify with. It's irrelevant. Those are all man-made. Those are all man-created things. Those are all man-created entities. It matters not. It says you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all equal in Christ Jesus, period, in the story. doesn't matter what you are. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and you're an heir according to the promise. You're an heir. You put your trust in Jesus. You confess Jesus. It matters not who or what you are. See, everybody's equal in Christ Jesus, and we are all heirs to the promise who uh, uh, call on his name. See, you want to put an end to all of these isms, racism, sexism, you know, whatever other ism, ageism, whatever ism it is that out there, you want to put an end to all that? Recognize Jesus, for we are all one in Jesus. And I know that the church in the world, not just the church in America, I know that the church in the world is nowhere near perfect. I know that a lot of these isms exist inside the church, and we have not accurately reflected the glory of God through how we have behaved in our churches. But I believe the time is coming when that is not going to be tolerated. We are all going to be unified in Christ. That doesn't mean sameness. That doesn't mean everybody's going to look the same. Everybody's going to sound the same. Everybody's going to talk the same. No. That means we are unified in purpose. We are unified in Christ. And we will finally, at some point in time, put the main enemy under our feet, which is our division. That is totally and completely anti-biblical. And we will recognize that we have been defaming the Lord because of our behavior. And the change in our behavior starts with the change in the recognition of who Jesus is. And with that, we are done for today. The proposition always goes out, man. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord,
And the word says that you will not be put to shame and you will be saved. Your faith will not be in vain. In other words, you know, you will have the last laugh, if you will. Everybody stay safe. Be blessed. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And should he bless us with another day of life, we'll come to you with the next episode of The Word Encounter, where we will conclude the book of Galatians. Bye-bye now.